0: Hello Amy Gerhardt. thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: Hello Shane, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure, I'm I'm excited to talk to you today. Uh, You have a fascinating story, you're a singer-songwriter turned into a personal development mindset coach. You have qualifications in neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, and you're the founder of uh, a higher way of living, which is a personal development firm, which I believe yeah. is something that's very cool. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you all about mindsets and, you know, how we can work on that and what exactly beliefs do and what they mean for us. And uh, it'll be a fun conversation. So thanks for coming yeah. on.
1: Absolutely. Anytime I can talk about self-improvement, it is a great day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how about we start off with just a little bit about you? Like, how did you make that transition from, you know, being a performer into this coaching space?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, performance always came naturally to me. Uh, I, I started performing and being in entertainment when I was really young, doing, you know, theater and musicals and all of these things. Went to college for music, studied music, um, so it's interesting. I, I never had a fear of being on stage, mm-hmm. uh, and being in front of people performing. What ended up happening is when I would be on stage, I would be in my head and I would second guess everything and I would start doubting myself and my abilities. And so it was never this, this, uh, oh my gosh, people are looking at me thing. It was more of a, uh, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I suck. What if I screw up? Like what if this happens? And then as I got older, um, and, you know, I, I don't want to take away the, and say that there weren't moments of euphoria. When you're in your element as a performer on stage, it, it can be absolutely magical. The, the problem with that is it doesn't happen all of the time. And so what do you do in the other 24 hours of the day? And how do you operate uh, when you're not living in your element like that? And and the one thing I found as I got older, um, probably started maybe in my teens. I was always kind of an awkward kid. Uh, you know, my family was military. We traveled every two to three years, didn't really have a chance to, um, have a hometown or childhood friends or things like that. And so we would just bounce from place to place. And I always just felt like just a little awkward. Like I I was, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this could probably relate on some level. Uh, and then as I, as I aged, as I got older, um, you know, I started, uh, I just started feeling really uncomfortable and I think it was really probably around college, going to college, getting involved in the, you know, um, this is what the, the normal college experience is, is of like, at that point trying to look like Britney Spears or whoever else was out right. there, the pop icons with the lowrider jeans and like the crop tops and the yeah. the stuff. And, and, uh, and I just, it didn't fit with me. And so because I didn't fit into that category or that perceived category of what I thought I should fit into based off of media and magazines and all these things that, you know, unfortunately give us the impression if we don't look like the people that we see that we're not good enough, I started just developing uh, these behaviors of, of self-shaming, mm-hmm. of really kind of beating myself up, of saying negative things to myself, of, um, of you know, doubting my my. You know what, I looked like if I was attractive or not, and um, and and it was one of those things that I think it starts, it started with me pretty small, and it was this gradual. It was this gradual thing that started just happening over time where I would just say something like, oh, I just feel so fat today or, oh, I just feel this, you know? And then I started and uh, now that I, you know, with my education that I have now, I understand that what I was doing was creating this belief system that was probably just being reaffirmed from something at a much younger age of not fitting in and not having, you know, certain certain things here and there. Who knows? You know, that's for my therapist and I to work through. <laughs> but, uh, but that, it started happening and, and then I started... Pursuing music, and, and the interesting thing is that I, I also want to point this out to the audience and the listeners is that I was a go-getter. Like I was always the type of person, and maybe that was instilled from the military upbringing of like, you want something, just go figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and hey, we're just going to get up and move to another city. And so, doing things wasn't scary to me. Taking risk wasn't scary to me at all. Um, and but it, but the reason I point this out is that sometimes we we associate if you have self-doubt and shame and fear and all these things that you just don't take action on things. I think it's really important to point that out that if someone is a go-getter and they are an action taker, they can still have an equal amount of self-doubt, fear, shame, insecurities, all of those things layered in there too. And so I had, um, I had moved to New York City post-college, was playing all around Manhattan. I was, you know, um, working a day job and I decided to quit my job to pursue music full time. And I, I ended up moving to Atlanta playing music full time, uh, bars, restaurants, hotels, weddings, you name it, I was doing it. I was playing like seven to eight times a week at wow. some one point. Um, and the great thing was, you know, there weren't a whole lot of women in Atlanta doing what I was doing. So I had this kind of little niche that I fit into with sort of that kind of softer pop lounge music type of mm-hmm. thing that I was doing at the um, the acoustic singer songwriter, but fast forward, you know, I I start touring, I start doing all these things with music, I start, um, I start, you know, uh, how, using my voice for commercial projects and all these things, uh, getting nominated for some awards, and and the interesting thing about this, the reason I give all of this layered stuff is that my career was still going, it was still growing, but I never stopped to look at what was going on internally in the process. Mm. So for me. Even though I started doing all these great things with my career, a normal person would be like, oh my gosh, like, that's so amazing. That's wonderful. Like you're, you're selling albums and you're, you're doing some bigger festivals and people are buying your music and they're listening to it and they're singing along with me. All the while I'm in my head thinking I'm not good enough all the while I'm in my head and behind the scenes, I'm going back to my room and I'm saying how fat I look in my outfit or how, you know, how ugly I am or or my, you know, I can't, I I was, I knew that it was getting really bad when I would go to Sephora, which is still one of my favorite stores, by the way, (laughs) but I would go to Sephora and I would buy thousands of dollars worth of makeup in a year like mm-hmm. it was out of control nobody needs thousands of dollars of makeup in a year you know it's like who in the world like but i kept doing all these things and i would go shopping and buying clothes and makeup and all these things to try to mask the fact that i just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin um and that's how this transition really started for me i was i had just finished my first cross country tour I had gotten out of an unhealthy relationship with someone I dated in Atlanta. I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. Well, excuse me. I went on tour for six months first. I traveled all across the United States. Then I moved to Nashville. And I remember very vividly being in my apartment in Nashville and just like looking in the mirror one night and saying, you know, I I do not like the person I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And I cannot live this way anymore. Like it was just this... I'm missing it. Like I was missing my entire life because I was so consumed with all of these negative thoughts and all of these behaviors that I had started to lean into and these belief system that I had built about myself or that had been programmed in that I was missing it. I was missing all the accomplishments. I was missing all the great things that I was doing. I was missing the connections and the tours and and the stuff that I had already done I wasn't even allowing myself to celebrate it almost as if it wasn't real yeah. right like it was like here I am getting nominated for award I'm like oh no I'm still I don't know like I still don't look you know great and i and I just had this I had this really negative image uh about myself and I was like i I can't do this anymore it's freaking exhausting yeah it's absolutely exhausting to to be in your head about yourself that much and to doubt yourself that much. And to doubt yourself, even when you're accomplishing things, I think is even, you know, it's, it's like you have no, any outside person looking in would be like, well, you have no reason to doubt yourself. And you're like, you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> right. I didn't have any reason to doubt myself, but I did. Yeah. I still did. And I think that's something that I found resonates with so many people. And so I, from that day when I had my meltdown and, and just was like, I, I, my breakdown, I should say, I was like, I. Uh, because breakdowns lead to breakthroughs, right? So I, I had that moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just started working on me. I, and I made an agreement with myself that day. I said, no matter what comes to my head, I'm not going to allow it to come out of my mouth. Hmm. No matter what thoughts come to my head no, from here on out, like I'm not going to allow it to come out of my mouth. And, and it's been that way ever since. And that was seven years ago now, hmm. almost, I, I think. And so... I started my journey. It took a little while. It took, uh, it doesn't, it's not a light switch, you know, like working yeah. on yourself is not something that happens overnight. I'm still learning so many things about myself, but I started this journey and, um, and then that's when I started realizing like, maybe, maybe there's a, something to this. And and the, when that happened was I was, uh, I was doing this big music festival and I started touring across country again. I was still continue to tour across country for the following, like four, five, six years after that. And, um, and I remember slowly starting to share snippets of my story, like just little, I would just be like, this is a song I wrote, you know, and when I was in this unhealthy relationship that made me believe this about myself, right? Like I would just share little snippets or this is a song that I'm playing around with about, you know, loving yourself, whatever, you know? And, and then the more I would share, the more people would come up to me and be like, oh wow, you know, I love that song and I love that message. And, you know, it's interesting you said that because I go through that too, and the more I shared, the more people came up to me saying the same things, over and over and over again. And and yeah, I would get some compliments about my shows, of course, but but it was really like, hey, I that the oh, you know that I loved what you said there turned into, hey, I'm really struggling with that too. And the more vulnerable I became became for my listeners, for my audience the more, um, connection was made, mm-hmm. the more, it was almost like the music I, because I allowed myself to be open and vulnerable, the music opened up and then the connection started happening on stage. And so for a while I thought, oh my gosh, like there's something to the storytelling thing. There's something to this, um, you know, understanding that we're, we're all very similar. Mm-hmm. And so I know this is a long answer to your question, but <laughs> long story short from then, you know, I had known for a couple of years, you know, I toured for about six years, seven years across country and I loved it. But I, um, I also am, you know, getting to a phase of my life where I knew, you know, I'd love to be a mom someday. I'd love to be married someday. I was like, do I want to be touring across country for (laughs) half of the year doing that? And so I was kind of figuring out how I could, you know, still write and create music and follow my passion for that, but also use my voice to support people in other ways and then covid hit i had one cross country tour trip planned for 2020 it was going to be my last final run now i feel like i have to make it up at some point but for everybody but i um i was going up into canada and then uh down through the northern united states and coming back and and uh and then covid wiped out everything and i felt honestly like as terrible as covid was for so many people and as confusing and frustrating as, as it still is for so many people, for me, it was like, God opened up the heavens and came down and was like, this is it. You've been saying you want something different. You've been saying you want to figure out how to do this. Like, here you go. And, and before COVID, I, uh, I love that we have to preface everything now by like pre-COVID and post-COVID. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to go in the history books pre-COVID. Yeah. So pre-COVID, I, uh, I had already started taking some business classes and, and, you know, going to some seminars and workshops and things to try to just figure out where I wanted to go. And, uh, and then I just, the, like the universe aligned, like things just started working out. I started, uh, I found some mentors and some coaches to help me with my branding, with marketing, which I'm still working through. I mean, it's a never ending journey to to Uh, and, and how to build a business because I only knew how to work in music. I Mm -hmm. had no idea like how to build an email list or followings or, or, you know, or, or, um, or even having different product levels and, and things like that. And so, so I just started working with all that. And then I became certified in an NLP, as you mentioned, hypnosis, hypnotherapy, I'm finishing up my master NLP certification now. And I just, uh, the rest is history. Like it just started building and growing and, and it all came down to that one simple thing of, to finally answer your question 20 hours later, (laughs) it came down to me sharing my story. That's how this all happened because I just didn't keep quiet about it anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, I mean, it's a fascinating story in its entirety, right? But what I sort of like to focus on is this idea of, you know, when you had that moment of self-reflection in the mirror, right? And you had this idea where you were like, which I don't really fully understand, so perhaps you can explain it a bit more, is that you didn't want to say what you were thinking. So what were you saying before then that you didn't like? Was it that you weren't being authentic, um, not sort of telling the truth about your truth or who you are, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. what exactly was that line? Because I I say that because the sort of ended bit of your story is that, oh, well now, I'm telling everyone everything almost. Right.
1: Yeah. And thank, thank you for that question. And, and I can definitely provide clarification when I mean, I, I was no longer going to let any of the negative thoughts that came to mm. my head come out of my mouth. So all, all the shaming, the, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're, you're, um, you know, anything that I thought, you know, that was not, that was not supporting my authentic self that I know now is my authentic self. Uh, Anything that was a lie that I had been programmed to believe, um, any doubt, any fear, any, any, anything even as simple as like, oh my God, I can't do this right? Like even that I said, you know what, I'm, I'm no longer going to say the words, even if the thoughts still come to my head, mm-hmm. I'm no longer going to say them because when I say them, I give them power. And now I know as an NLP practitioner and hypnotherapist, that when you say the words, your subconscious hears the words, mm-hmm. right? It's like the, the three modalities in NLP are the three major modalities we communicate in is auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. And so anytime we can we can see something, say something, feel something it connects in and programs into our subconscious. So that was, and I didn't know this at the time. I just kind of stumbled into like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm just going to start small. Right. It was yeah. like, I'm going to start with one thing. What's the one thing I can do right now to make a difference? Because at that point I had no idea what to do. Like I had no clue. I mean, it wasn't like, they don't really, like you don't go to school and they're like, by the way, if you ever struggle. <laughs> with negative self-doubt or like negative thoughts and shaming, this is your manual. Like they don't, they don't have that. And so I just thought, okay, I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but I know that I can't keep doing the same thing I was doing. So I get to shift something. What is that? And I thought, okay, anytime I think that I'm ugly, I'm not going to say it out loud. Anytime I think I'm stupid, I'm not going to say it out loud. Anytime I think I'm a failure, I'm not going to say it out loud. That was just the one disconnect. Like Mm -hmm. I want, I wanted to be able to cut the thought off from being vocalized to give it power and then go back in and work on the thought process as well and how to shift that. But yeah, does Hmm. that, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I found it interesting because, um, you know, let's say from my experience, uh, all of my sort of insecurities and self doubts and shamings and things like that, like that only happens in my head. Like I don't speak it out mm-hmm. loud, right? So I was yeah. just wondering where that sort of connection to speaking it, but I'm now, I guess, can assume that, well, you would say it to other people or, you know, maybe to yeah. yourself or just in conversation where you're like, ah, sucked. You know, people are like, how well, are your showing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, too, you know, and that actually, you bring up an interesting point. I want to come back to. Mm. I also want to preface for the listeners. I talk to myself all of the time. <laughs> gotcha. Like all of the time. I am not. I am not a quiet human. I. You can ask my family. Even as a little kid, like I would just sing to myself or talk to myself. So sometimes I was doing it and saying things, mm. but I wasn't even consciously aware that I was doing it. Right. Like it. it like I had a moment. This is a, actually a really funny story, Shane. That I was. <laughs> I was in a mall in Atlanta a couple years back and, uh, this is before, you know, this has actually has nothing to do with self doubt and shame. It's just a funny story yeah. that I was in, the I was in the line, you know, and, and, and I don't know if they have this where you are, but the malls here, like they have, um, they have these like Starbucks are set up like right dead center in the mall. Like they, they know exactly where to push, position themselves. So, like people yeah. are going to be shopping. They're going to want to buy coffee. So they had a Starbucks set up in the middle of this this mall and I was in line, like in the middle of a line, like this is pre-COVID, like a ton of people really close to me and I am talking to myself and I don't even realize <laughs> I'm doing it. And then literally I stop myself and I'm like, oh shit, I just said that out loud. And I look around and I see the people that have clearly heard me talking to myself. Why not <laughs> I was why they're just kind of like, all right, this is a crazy lady in yeah. the line, and I, I said, this is it, this is the beginning of the end for me, like the, <laughs> the downturn to me, like living on the streets, like having, you know, needing yeah. medication, like all, and I, I say that in jest, of course. Yeah. But,
0: Being um, one of those people but, that yeah. shout from the street corners, you know?
1: Yeah. But, but I want to go back to what you said too, really quickly, if it's okay yeah. about, did I say this to myself or did I say it to other people too? And I think we do say things to other people, at least I know in female groups, right? I don't know if, if men do this is because I'm not a man, I, I couldn't relate, but women, like we get together and, and, the conversations and we have, and I want to say this for the female listeners too, because I think this is really important. The words we say have so much power, yeah, so much power, even if we're saying it in jest, even if like when we get, we get dressed up for a girl's night, like, does this look okay? Do I look fat? Like, do I look this? You know, even those simple words, like they program into our subconscious, right? They, it, it is, it is all, uh, relatable or even when we get together with other women and we commiserate or if we and I used to be uh this person I am not anymore thank goodness um but when you know you you kind of like talk about other people or you gossip or you do this and that like all of that energy just so you know even if it's about somebody else gets programmed in about you too and and so it's it's all of this um it's being overly conscious and overly aware of of your language, of your environment, of your surroundings. Now, when I get to my together with my girlfriends, uh, and this is, you know, keep in mind, this is many, many, many years later. Like we're, we're talking like 10 plus years later. Uh, all of our conversations, now granted, we have moments where we struggle and we get to support each other through those struggles, but all of them are positive and uplifting conversations to support each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's just something to really think about. Because your subconscious mind doesn't know what you're joking about. It doesn't know if you're kidding about something. It's 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 just, yeah. I I, I, could, go no. <laughs> I could go on with this. No. I could go on days with this because I get so passionate about it. But yeah, that's that. That's really that's really just start with your words. That's yeah. it. Yeah.
0: No, it's great, and I think it's a very important point because we do underestimate the power of language, um, particularly you know just sort of casual language in how we communicate with you know people around us where we don't think things have that much of an impact and quite often you know uh I've found that when I'm talking to friends or whatever like they'll and and it's more of a serious conversation and I'll you know say something I was like oh, that was some pretty good insight on my behalf Not to be, you know, sort of narcissistic about it. But sometimes you just have Mm -hmm. those moments where you're like, Oh, I don't even know how I thought about that, but it just came out. And then afterwards, you know, or a few weeks later, that friend will be like, Oh, do you remember this one thing that you said to me? And I'll be like, That wasn't the main part of the story. Why do you remember that bit? And it just sort of like reinforces the it reinforced the idea to me that other people will pick up on not the same things that you will and place importance on it. And I think it's probably fairly easy for anyone to think about how one saying or sentence or phrase kind of just stuck with you for a long period of time and just feels tremendously powerful. And yet when that person said it, it probably was just, you know, they were just speaking. Maybe it was part of a speech or a presentation or a conversation, but it, it, doesn't carry the same necessarily the same amount of power that we tend to ascribe to it as a a listener right and so it makes sense that you know if your conversations with your friends are negatively dominated then you're going to end up focusing on a lot of negative stuff because that's the content that you're hearing right Uh, it's the same thing i think about how like What we consume online and social media and stuff, it matters, right? And it affects the way we think and see the world, even if we don't have an obvious consciousness of it at the time. Um, And you can see that with anything. The more you're exposed to something, the more you start to see it in the world, right? Whereas before you probably didn't. And so if your attention is entirely or significantly focused upon negative aspects or self reproaching dialogue or things like that, like that's how it's gonna come to be dominant, right, yeah, um, and probably you'll be unaware of it for the most part because we're unconscious, I mean you know our unconscious dominates overwhelmingly our psyches, yeah right, which is oh, really absolutely. hard to contend with, but that's just sort of how it is
1: <laughs> absolutely um, i I had an interview with a friend of mine just recently for uh an event that she does for her Facebook group and and she had said, you know, we both were laughing because we're like, if we knew it was happening, happening consciously, we would we would stop it dead in its tracks, right? And and that's the thing is it it's because it's that it's that thing that usually happens gradually and it happens over time. Mm-hmm. It's not like if if I have this amazing mindset and all of a sudden I have one day where it's like, oh, I say these terrible things. I'm gonna catch myself and be like, Amy, what are you doing, right? Where in the world did that come from? But if it's something that's gradual that happens over time, over and over and over and over again, it becomes, it becomes to the point like what you just said, sometimes you just don't even notice it. And the interesting thing too is it's like, well, then it when, what happens when you do notice it? And I think that's where I hit that breaking point because I was like, oh crap, like I had to take a step back from me and just say, wow, I feel freaking terrible, and I'm crying all the time and I can't stand the way I look and I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And I have absolutely no reason to feel this way outside of whatever my subconscious programming is that has developed over so many years,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: now knowing that now, once again, like, I mean, I have a great family. I mean, granted there's, my family's not perfect by any means, but uh, but I, I have, you know, very loving parents and, and they provided for me you know, I never lived on the streets. I was never, you know, and, and I also want to say this too, I, for the listeners, I'm not saying this as a comparison because every single person has their journey and every single journey is valid. Every single one, you know, whether you had big traumas in your life or no traumas or very tiny traumas or whatever, everyone's valid because Shane, you said something really important about that person that remembered that one line that you said. It's the same thing with our brains and our minds. We could be little kids, right, having the best day ever and, you know, playing on the playground and we've got hundreds of friends and people that love us and care about us and one person bullies us and makes fun of us. And then we remember that, Mm -hmm. you know, our subconscious mind is just an information bank. That's all it is. And it gathers information and it has memories, sorry, the belief system are based off of your memories, whether your memories are real or imagined. Mm -hmm right? So we can take this tiny little bully, right? And now as adults, we see it as this tiny little bully, but as a innocent little seven-year-old kid, that becomes this big grandiose thing that gets programmed into the mind. And so anything that you've experienced or gone through could contribute to whatever you're at now. And so it's just so I think the biggest part about the mindset work and why it's so important is that until you're aware of it, you can't change anything. You can't take action on anything. So the yeah. first step is to become aware and then to say, oh, wait a minute. Is this real? Like, is this the, is this thought that's coming up happening right now because it's a real situation or a real event? Or am I being triggered by something from my past? Or is it, you know, like there's so many different layers to it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you you know, you hit on a very good point of like, it's this isn't a comparative exercise. This, it doesn't matter who you are you know, what we're talking about applies to everyone. Um, yeah. And, you know, some people figure it out on their own and that's great or they don't and they sort of just live with, you know, whatever degree of torture they have in their head and that's just how they exist. And and other people come out and, you know, want to share that wisdom being like, hey, actually you don't have to live that way, you know. Um, yeah. And it's also interesting to sort of like, not to sort of derail the conversation about it, but you know, we do have this negative cognitive bias, right? Um, and, it, you know, evolutionarily speaking, it makes sense because it's sort of more important to know about things that could be threatening to you uh, or dangerous than it is to focus on positive things. And so when, you know, things threaten us, even if it's psychologically, like let's say, you know, verbal bullying or something like that, um, our minds tend to focus on that a lot more because hypothetically, that's more important to focus on as it's a threat than is the nice thing that someone said, right, and you can sort of just see this with like, you know, if if 100 people leave a comment on a video or something like that, you'll be like, oh, these are really nice, and then someone will say something mean, and that's the one that you're gonna focus and remember for some, I mean, for this reason, but it's not rational to do it that way, right? Um, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and I was just going to say, there's actually science to back yeah. that up too. I can't remember the actual study that they did, but it 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 absolutely has been looked into of why why our brains gather the negative. Why is it so much easier for us to remember the negative versus the positive? Right? Think about like when you uh, break up with somebody, you remember all the things they did wrong. Like every single bit of it, yeah. right? But we can't remember it. Like takes it takes practice and effort to remember all the right things that were right. And so it's uh yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'm gonna go find that that statistic. I'll send it to you and or that study that I read about that. And yeah. I wish my brain was a little bit more active. But I, I love what you said about the comparison thing too. And that's a big deal that I lean into and I coach into as well with my clients. Because I remember even something as simple, um, you know, I when I was in my 30s, I had a lot of trouble focusing and I would go to events and music festivals and, and I would be in front of people and having conversations with people and I wouldn't hear a thing that they said. Like my mind would start bouncing around. So I remember finally going and seeing somebody and when she, you know, we did some testing and things like that and she's like, okay, well, I'm uh, I'm going to give you a diagnosis of ADHD, like ad- adult, you know. Sure. Sorry, adult ADD. And um for for adults and and I'm not I'm not saying this correctly right now. <laughs> Sorry. Thank thank you for being patient with me listeners. Uh and and the interesting thing about that is when she said that, now I grew up I grew up in a family that has you know meant uh, people that experience mental illness. Um Sure. Uh, my mother has depression. My I've I've got it, depression runs in my family. And I remember when um uh and and amongst other uh other mental illnesses run in my family as well. And I remember when I got this woman's diagnosis, and I don't say that I've been diagnosed with, I just want to point this out, I don't say that I've been diagnosed with ADD. I experience ADD because I think a lot of times when we get a diagnosis for something, we give it so much power over our lives. But in that moment, I remember feeling stupid. I remember immediately like my first trigger reaction was, well, I'm not going to tell people because this I feel stupid. Like this is so minor in my mind in comparison to what my family members have been through and what they experience. And the people I know really closely, people that have struggled with suicidal thoughts, people that have struggled with not even being able to get out of bed every day. And here I am, I can't even focus. Like I was doing the comparison game. So much when that, and this was also before I did all of this work, by the way. Mm-hmm. So this was just this comparison. And it's so easy for us to do that. It's so easy for us to minimize our experiences, and and to put them up against someone else's. And I think it's just such an unhealthy route to go down into. And, and I and I know that now. I now know how unhealthy that is. You know, yeah. uh, to do that. But it was just it's so easy for us to put ourselves in the back seat and to say, well, I haven't. You know. I I still have you know my a loving family so I, my life isn't as bad or I still have this and that isn't as bad and and I think it was Brene Brown maybe that said she read something once and I'm also going to misquote this but it was the person who is experi- wait the person who has the experience is the most important or there mm-hmm. the person who went through the experience their experience is the most important if that makes sense something along those lines now. I, I hope Brene, like Brene doesn't reach out to me and say, yeah. you just totally screwed up everything I just said. But the, the point behind the, the quote or the message that she was saying is that your experience is the most important one to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whatever you've been through, Shane, is is absolutely valid and the most important thing. And whatever I've been through is absolutely valid and the most important thing to me. And it's learning how to each one of our experiences can coexist together, right? Like. Yeah mine doesn't have to be better than yours yours doesn't have to be better than mine like or more important like everyone is important every experience is important
0: right and we, a, absolutely and we do have this by the way shout out to brene brown if she's listening to this podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> yay brene <laughs> uh that would,
0: be hila- that would be hilarious that would be hilarious um
1: shane and i want to come on your podcast brene. yeah let's do that <laughs> so
0: but this comparative culture phenomenon is very strange. I mean, it's understandable to a large degree, I guess, because we do tend to compare ourselves in many ways to other people, often for good reason, but sometimes it backfires, right? And so there's a sort of natural tendency to be like, oh, well, it could be worse, or I should be more grateful, or, uh, you know, we kind of have these expectations of ourselves, at least to, you know, be better than we are, even in not comparing, right? And then the sort of trap that's easy to fall into too is to, when that happens, makes you feel worse. Cause then you're like, I should be more grateful. I should, you know, not be complaining about my situation. Other people have it worse. And that just makes you feel worse probably because then you feel guilty for having these thoughts which is just an unfortunate thought cycle that is easy to get trapped in. Um, yeah. But it, it actually doesn't matter. And the weird part about it is that You know, most nice people don't want that for you either. You know, if you had gone to your parents or whoever your family members are who have had, you know, these sort of serious depression issues and you had said to them, you know, oh, you know, I have some ADD, they wouldn't be like, I mean, they might, but hopefully (laughs) they wouldn't be like, yeah, well, that's nothing. I've been through so much worse. And I mean, some some people are like that, but they're just suffering, right? It's not fair to sort of... Yeah,
1: they're absolutely suffering. Yeah, Yeah.
0: um, because people who are happy don't criticize other people and they let them have their experiences and they're like, okay, well, this is something that you got to deal with. I'm sorry you have to deal with it because it's tough and it has all sorts of implications in in your life in various ways. And um, you know, I wish you the best and let me know how I can help you, something like that where it's not a comparative, it doesn't make sense to compare our experiences with other people on a broader scale, you know, in in this context that we're talking about because it's unhelpful, um, I think. I guess sometimes though, sometimes, people and you, sorry, it's to interrupt, but I, oh, no. I guess sometimes okay. that does lead people to feel more gratitude for the things that are going well or that they do have. But how often does that happen versus do you end up feeling guilty for your own thoughts about the situation? I don't know what the answer to that question is, um, but it's just an interesting thought. Yeah.
1: It is an interesting thought. And I think, I love what you said it's interesting that, that last, that last line, I want to come back to that, you know, using comparison as a way to feel gratitude. I wonder if it's really comparison or if it's, it's really more empathy and understanding versus the word comparison, right? Like you see someone else's life, you feel empathetic towards them and what their experiences are and what they're going through, which then triggers gratitude towards your life. Because you know, if you're looking at someone and be like, "Ugh, their per- that person's life sucks," like I'm great, like then that's clearly an unhealthy way of, yeah. <laughs> of of feeling gratitude for your life, you know. Um, but I, but and we could come back to that. But I love what you said about happy people don't compare themselves to others. If you others, and I, I agree with you on that. I am, if you are someone who is filled with joy, and and I have worked really hard to get to this place in my life because I did used to compare myself to others all of the time. Uh, and I am so grateful. Going back to gratitude every day, because I wake up and when I see other people now, I see it as inspiration. Yeah. I see people that are doing the things that I want. Is oh wow, let me figure out how they did that, and let me let me give them a call. Let me see if I can get them on my podcast. Let me see if I can you know talk with them or work with them or coach with them. And because I want to learn what they learned, and it's it's a completely different way of looking at things. And the great thing too is that because I have such a high Regard for myself now, and I am in this place of fully loving myself, really, truly loving myself. All aspects of me—the stuff I like, the stuff I don't like as much, or I wish I, or wish that I didn't do all the time—you know, every single part of me—I've developed this incredible, solid relationship with that I have no need to compare myself to other people, and I have no. And the other thing too is that I have and adopted a very big live and let live type of mentality. Like other people can say things, they can do things, it can, you know, they can try to hurt me or offend me or any of those things. And it only bothers me if I choose to let it. Yeah. It genuinely, it's like I live in a, a, with a force field around me every, every single day of just self-awareness of knowing who I am and I'm not saying there aren't days that I don't falter a bit, but that's where the coaching comes in and the training and the skills the, you know, having all my tools in my toolbox to be able to combat those days. But I genuinely, I, I look at everyone else as my ally now. I yeah. look at everyone else as someone I can learn from, someone I can grow from, someone I can connect with. Um, and it's such a beautiful place to live in. Shane, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced this on your own as well. It's just a, lovely place to be in when you just feel good about you Yeah, just, you know, and, and the realize world. like, Hey, yeah. in the world, exactly.
0: And there's no enemies, right? You don't look to make enemies where there aren't any or where there might be, but you know, why spend your efforts and energy there? It's a uh, free rent in their head, as they say. I mean, they have free yeah. rent in your head is as the expression goes, it's like, don't, don't let them. Ooh. Um, yeah. but so, you know, on this sort of topic of like, how you got to this place of, um, you know, sort of fully accepting and loving yourself, right? Uh, You know, a lot of it has to do with this topic of mindset and reshaping, I want to say bad, but not helpful mindsets, right? That might be, that might sort of stem back to when you were, you know, one or two or something like that. And that's true for everyone. Um, but so how, how can one, you know, let's say we're assuming that people are now aware of a particular bad pattern of thinking or behaviors or or both. Mm -hmm. They're not all feeling that, I mean, they're all connected, you know, what's the way to sort of start combating that? I mean, sure, it's going to be different for specific individuals, but is there a sort of general framework that you operate under?
1: There, There is. I actually just launched uh, with my company an online course because I knew that there were so many of my <laughs> clients that I was working with uh, one-on-one, and we were diving into some deeper okay. hypnotherapy. But you know, after a while, I realized, okay, well, I'm going through some foundational things with everyone, so why don't I put this into uh, a course where people can start working on shifting their mindset and and opening up their awareness even more Mm -hmm. of, Every single little thing. Uh, and I'll give a couple tips that are from that course here. Um, it's called Rise Up and Thrive. You can, you know, come find it over on A Higher Way of Living, or you can always hop on a call with me uh, if anybody is listening to this and is kind of like, hey, I need some guidance. And and I'll be completely transparent with all of the listeners. If I'm not your coach, I'm not going to work with you. Like, I, I, I will guide you in the right direction. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I think so many people, the first step, hands down, before you do anything is look for support. Don't try to do this all on your own, right? Now that could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a coach, it could be a therapist, it could be books, it could be videos, audios, whatever you need um, to dive into. But definitely don't do the thing where you sit back. And it's like, okay, I'm aware. I'm just gonna figure it out as I go. Like, there, there's a reason that we all have our gifts. There's a reason we all share our stories. There are, there are hundreds of of thousands of amazing coaches out in the world. So if I'm not the right coach for you, then by all means, I'll help you find someone who is. But with that being said, uh, the, some of the basic things that, that I start everyone with is goes back to what you and I talked about before. We already know self-doubt and shame exists, right? We already know that it's happening. What we want to do first is cut that off. So I always with my clients create a, a, a safe place of saying, whenever you're in a session with me and from here on out, if you and I are going to work together, no more self-doubt and shame, like no more shaming is allowed to come into this this space. We're going to work on the thoughts. We're going to work on reprogramming, but we're not going to beat ourselves up anymore. Mm -hmm. So whatever happened, happened. Wherever you went, like whether it was good stuff, not so good stuff, anything that you've done in your life, it happened. And the more we dwell on it, the more we shame ourselves for it and beat ourselves up for it, It's, it's doesn't support us on our journey. So I try to tell my clients like from day one, no matter what happens from here on out, we're not going to beat ourselves up over it. We're not. Say you're on a diet and you fall off the wagon and you have a donut. Okay. You had a donut. So what? We're not going to beat ourselves up for it, right? We're going to, we're going to create a space for you to be forgiving to yourself and to be open to yourself, to say, all right, I know that I'm not going to be perfect, with this, because there's no such thing as perfection. And this is day one of the rest of my life. So, if I'm gonna do that, how do I do that in a safe place? So, it's creating a safe space for you just to allow yourself to make some mistakes, Mm -hmm. allow yourself to be kinder to yourself in that process. And then the second step, you know, we really dive into, as I mentioned before, the visual auditory kinesthetic. Uh, I like working a lot with NLP. I do a lot of perspective shifting with my clients. I do a lot of reprogramming of their decision-making strategies and things like that. Um, And then of course, diving even deeper into hypnosis to reprogram and hypnotherapy sessions that it can be, you know, these two to three hour sessions of, trauma, healing, and things like that. Um, but with my clients, you know, once we create this safe space, the next is to look at those three, the visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. What are the words you're using? What are the things you're seeing, right? And what's the environment that you're in that's maybe triggering or causing emotions and, mm-hmm. and things like that, the, the emotional connection, the visual stimulus, the auditory stimulus, and or, and the uh, kinesthetic as well, so learning how to kind of identify those things, and it's everything as simple as the, you know, the the words we use. We'll go back to that again since we talked about that so much today already. But that can be something as simple as like, oh, I need to do this, or what you were saying earlier, like I should have done that. I should have done that. Well, you can shoot on yourself all the time, but you probably shouldn't. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: stop
1: that thing of like stop shooting on yourself. Like yeah. just say, I, I instead of saying I need to do this or I have to do this for my job, which makes it task driven which makes it almost this obligation. I need to go to the gym. I need to do X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. You get to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like those little tiny shifts. I get to do this. I get to show up today. I get to be on this awesome podcast with you, Shane. Like everything gets to be an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Everything. And those tiny, tiny little shifts in our language, right? The little things that we say are so important. The same thing with our surroundings, Like, are we, where are we hanging out at? Where are we going? Who are the people we see every day? Who are, what are the conversations we have with those people? How do we interact? Are these things that are going to be uplifting and positive or are they things that are going to start tearing us down? And it can even be something as simple, you know, coming from the music background, the music we listen to. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to negative music all the time that has these lyrics that are very heavy and draining, that's what you're going to start to feel. So it's learning how to identify all of the stuff that's going on internally as a reflection of everything that's going on externally as well too. And how do we get them into alignment with each other? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think so, that's- a- just some
1: basics. Yeah. It, it goes a lot deeper than that. And in the <laughs> course. Yeah. And in the course that I have, you know, I put together about 14, 15 modules and I have a bunch of bonus modules in there and hypnosis audios for people to listen to uh, because I really want people to be able to start- Uh, having the opportunity to reprogram on their own and not everybody can afford a coach too like let's be honest like coaching can be can be expensive and you know but if you if you're in if you have that opportunity by all means find a coach to work with that's one of the best ways
0: yeah no I think that's a a very interesting and clearly successful framework to operate under and sort of the one part that I'd, I'd like to highlight or there's two actually well the one is this idea of um, where do I start. Okay, so in psychotherapy training, right, you learn that the most important part of therapy is the relationship you form with your client, right? That's the mechanism of all change. And the modality and techniques that you use only account for, like, somewhere, it depends on the study, between 10 and 15 or 20% of actual therapeutic change, right? What's the most important thing is the relationship that you have, and there's lots of reasons for it, right? It's whether it's um, because you need to learn how to trust people, how to, you know, engage safely, how to uh, communicate effectively, um, is all kinds of things, right, that that go into that, and there's a, a good literature on that. But I say that because your framework replicates that within the self right Mm -hmm. that's sort of what what i got from it where the first step is and as you said you when you're creating this sort of safe space um but the first thing before you try and change or undo anything is sort of learning that like okay well i have a relationship with myself which philosophically is complicated but you know experientially makes sense intuitively to most people and so the way that we deal with ourselves is, is important and maybe the most important, right? So whether it's how you talk to yourself, do you encourage yourself? Do you treat yourself well? Do you support yourself? Um, and you know, people use all kinds of metaphors or analogies to say, you know, you should treat yourself um, like a best friend or you should treat yourself like someone who you're responsible for caring for is one a different way of looking at it and so you know when you do these things like you you think you messed something up right or you didn't have such a good day or something went wrong in your estimation do you say to yourself i suck you know i'm the worst whatever um or do you say to yourself you know actually it's okay like yes That was a mistake perhaps, and there were some negative consequences that I now have to deal with because that's true too. Um, But it's okay because you learn and, you know, most people make decisions based on the sort of simple premise of I thought it was a good idea at the time, right? That's the sort of general way that people approach it is you do it in the moment. You're like, this seems like the best option, even if it's just to reduce, you know, some negative affect, you're doing it because in that moment that's just what you need and then if you were a friend or someone who you were responsible for caring for you know how would you approach that uh you know if a friend comes to you and says you know i cheated on my diet today or i messed this thing up or didn't go as i thought would you say oh you suck you know you'll never get it together like no you wouldn't presumably you'd say it's yeah. it's okay you know it happens there's stumbling blocks it's all about learning what can we learn from it you know just approach it in a very nice uh, supportive way and if you can learn to sort of do that for yourself then that's how you sort of start to make those efficacious changes um because then it doesn't matter what the situation is it's how you deal with yourself that sort of comes to the front anyway right so it's not it's not necessarily about specific instances although those are perhaps very important to address but the sort of underlying mechanism is your relationship with yourself and how you see and feel about yourself Um, which kind of leads into the second point which is that you know this kind of change that we're talking about Uh, And you had mentioned this before, it's not something you can do immediately. You can start immediately, but it's a process that takes a lifetime, you might say, you know, I mean... If you think about it just in terms of the strength of various neural pathways, the more you think about something, the stronger the neural pathways are, the more embedded it becomes in your consciousness and even subconsciousness. And so you're sort of now creating new neural pathways to compete with that because you can't just get rid of them. Um, And so it takes a lot of practice to strengthen those up sufficiently to a point where there's actually some competition now. Uh, It's a weird analogy, I know, but it's somewhat <laughs> neuroatomically accurate. Um, but it's like, you know, like going to, like I use the analogy of like going to the gym, right? If, you, if you're not an exercising person, the first year kind of sucks, right? You're kind of forcing yourself to do it a lot. Um, and, you know, it takes a lot of like effortful willpower to do it. But then at some point, and it's not exactly clear when or why, at least it wasn't to me, you kind of are like, oh, this is just part of my normal way of being now, right? And you might even start to look forward to it and it just becomes automatic. So it's not like a daily struggle of like, should I go to the gym? Should I not? I mean, well, COVID, should I exercise in my basement? Should I not? You know, it's not that kind of a thing. It's just like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing now, right? And so that's the the other side starts to sort of weaken and wither away. And while it's still there, um, it doesn't have as much of an impact, right? So I just wanted to sort of bring the practice element um, up. And, you know, what do you sort of make of that?
1: No, I, I agree 100% with everything you just said. And and I I would love to go back to your first point mm. really quickly too. And, and go for it. you know, something that I've found that's been really, really helpful for not only myself, but my clients is... I love what you said about the way you talk to yourself, right? And 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 the the if you were talking to your friend, you wouldn't say, "Oh, you suck. You're not going to get that. You know, you're not going to make that diet. You're never going to win." You would say, "That's okay. I love to encourage my clients to take things even one step further. Hmm. Let's figure out, okay, it happened. So let's figure out why. Let's figure out where it's coming from. Let's I I really love creating, you know, when when I do that space of um creating that safe space of this uh, you know, every, that there's no more shaming allowed from here on out, right? Like no more beating yourself up from here on out. I also love to encourage my clients to look at everything as neutrality. Like what if you weren't you? What if you were just starting to observe you and the way your behaviors were and you just started kind of looking and nothing was good, nothing was bad because we assign meaning to everything around us, mm-hmm. right? Like every event could be a neutral event and we decide whether it's a good or bad event. And so if we have that, and then I also kind of coach into emotions, like how to listen to your emotions, to understand your emotions. How, how can you be neutral with your emotions? Like just cause I'm angry, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Just because I'm sad, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It means that my body's trying to tell me something, right? There's something I care about. That's like these, we can, we get information from ourselves if we really start to take time to look at it. So in those moments, if you do fall off the wagon, because guess what? You're going to, no matter what happens, you're right. It is a lifelong journey. There are still things. Oh my gosh, hold on. My ADD just kicked in. Let me go back. (laughs) So if you do, if you do fall off the wagon and when you fall off the wagon, being able to say, huh? Okay, so I did that. I'm not proud of it. It's not what I want long term, but let me instead of shaming myself instead of you know going back into and in feeding my old pattern and feeding my old belief system, let me just sit with myself for a second and really identify why it happened. Mm -hmm. What was it that got in the way? What became more important? What did I tell myself in the process? What did I lean into? Because until we know why we're doing something, until we can really get to that core level, we can't make a different decision. So it's just decision-making strategies, figuring out like, did I see something? Like, we'll go back to the diet example. Did I drive by Dunkin' Donuts? And then I remembered how good they tasted and I said, screw it, I'm just going to pull in. Like, what was it? Yeah. What, where did it come from? What caused you to create that action in the first place? So anyway, uh, to go to your second point about the, the, I agree with you a thousand percent. It's just like anything. You have to work at it for it to work. You absolutely do. And, and you know, I, I still... Seven years later, have moments and I, I continue my education. I am still, I'm in a, a master leadership program right now, personal leadership program. That's a year program where we have these intense sessions and we work through stuff. And it's there are still days where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I have that moment where I'm like, I thought I was over this. Like, are you kidding me? Like this is popping up. And the more you learn about yourself, it almost becomes um, I almost find it comical now because I'm like Oh wow! Like when I make all the connections of like, okay, so I did this because of that, which led to this, which caused me to do that, which caused that belief system. Like it, it's, it almost becomes, um, it, it almost becomes a game. Sometimes it's like, all right, I wonder what I'm going to figure out about myself today. <laughs> about myself. And uh, and I agree with you too. The the good part about it, though, I, I don't want to discourage the listeners. Probably the absolute best part is what you hit on Shane is that after a while it does become autopilot and it becomes so much easier to manage. And while you're in the process of being aware of yourself, you're going to notice when things come up so much faster. I was talking with a woman earlier today um, and we were talking about confidence and she was equating confidence as like a roller coaster, right? Like you have days where you're really confident and then not so confident, days where you're really confident and not so confident. And you kind of go with this up and down type of feeling. And I said, yeah, but the great thing about doing mindset work and the great thing about, you know, being in this state of constantly observing yourself is that eventually that roller coaster starts to level out, right? Like things start to level out. They're not as not these, these big highs and lows the way it used to be. Everything kind of just levels out. It's like that kind of slow plane of the roller coaster. And then whenever you feel yourself going into a dip, you have all the tools to be able to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. I'm going to pull myself back up. Yeah. Hold on. Wait a minute. Like I feel like I'm a little off this morning. Let me just take a minute to sit with myself, see if I can figure out where it's coming from and pull myself back out of it. You know, but that takes so much time. It's like master level Jedi mindset training to be able to get to that point, but it is absolutely worth it if everyone listening is is willing to put that effort and time into it.
0: Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got a life to live. How do you want to live it? Yeah. Right?
0: And those years are going to pass anyway. So, you know,
1: they they your are. models
0: absolutely. will be working towards something better, um, which yeah. I think inherently most people want, you know, they, we have this human desire to do and be better sort of all the yeah. time. Uh, it's very curious, but um, that does seem to be around most of the time. And it's interesting what you say because, you know, even though you've been doing it for seven years, I mean, I, I could probably fairly accurately predict that in 50 years, stuff is still gonna happen and you're gonna be like, what did that, why Why yeah. did I do that, why, why? like, because as we said, so much of our psychic life is unconscious that drives our behaviors. And so you confront a situation that's relatively new or that's, you know, reminiscent of something in childhood that you don't have actual memories for. And all of a sudden you're doing doing something that you're like, what's going on? You know, why am I doing this now? Um, But I guess that the goal is kind of to reach that point where when that happens to you, you don't see it as a personal failure or a setback or anything like that. You're like, Oh, this is just another angle that I got to work around or uh, just, Oh, I need to adjust a little bit. And if, if you can make it into a game of sorts, I mean, what's better than that, right? Then it's fun to do it too. Um, and games are hard, right? Easy games are boring. (laughs) We don't like those kinds of things. We like challenges. So it's not such a bad thing to sort of view it that way. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really I, I good point. I absolutely
1: agree. Absolutely. And that's, that is the biggest thing you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not that, you know, and, and some, some practitioners will say, Oh, you can completely uproot and remove a, a belief system for good. And and I do think there are some, some of them that you can, but some of them might be with you the rest of your life. Right. I think there will always be a little girl inside of me, a little version of Amy that feels insecure. Right. Yeah. But now I know how to comfort that little part of me. I know how to I know to have a how to have a conversation with that. I know how to uh I know nurture how to it. bounce back and nurture it. Yeah. And also say that guess what? That part of me is valid. It's allowed to be there. Yeah. And that's okay. Like it doesn't have to take over my life. It doesn't have to run my life. And and whenever she starts screaming and throwing a temper tantrum, I can, you know, have, have a moment with her and that's okay. And but it's it's what you said learning how to navigate your life without the shame and guilt and verbal punishment attached to it
0: yeah which is not easy to do because especially oh, if it's been no. your default mode for so long right
2: oh yeah um, yeah
0: but again it's like well yeah but it, it it's also sort of touches on the point of how change happens when suffering reaches a sort of maximal point right when you reach a point where you're like I'm sick of this shit, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for lack of a better way of saying it.
1: For lack of a better way, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And you hear that from everybody. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a story of transformation that didn't get to that point. Yeah. Like if, if you're out there, if you were like, oh, yeah, I just transformed and I felt fine like before, like, <laughs> like yeah, I'd love to hear your story because I just don't think it exists. I think you're right, you get to a, a place where you've just had enough And, and the, I would love to be able to get to more people before they get to that place personally, like the rock bottom place. Yeah. But, uh, like I'd love to get them on the decline, like slowly so that we can revert back, but sometimes you have to get to the rock bottom. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to hit the decline and and you have to go through that because otherwise you wouldn't realize the value of doing this type of work.
0: Yeah. And it applies in all sorts of things, right? If you hate your job right, and you're suffering at it, Yeah, you can put up with it for, well, it depends, but presumably a fairly long amount of time with a great deal of suffering that comes with it, um, but you do reach a point where you're like, I'm done now, right, and it's yeah. quite decisive um, and often leads to very sudden changes in people, like you had this, sort of, right? Um, COVID helped you out a little bit, but that's okay, you know?
1: Covid, Covid just jump started it a little faster. It was yeah. already I was already on the train for a couple of years. Like I felt myself riding that train of, of shifting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting that you bring up the job. I have a couple clients that really struggle um, with uh, with stuff at work and being able to stay in control around certain people and coworkers and uh, bosses and whatnot. And and that I think is another layer because sometimes we think it's the job. Uh, and it very well could be the job, but it also very well could be us. And and learning that, you know, if you have a belief system about you, the belief system is going to be the same no matter where you go and what you do.
0: Mm-hmm. And your relationships with other people tend to...
1: Exactly.
0: ...mimic those of childhood unless you do something consciously about it, let's say. Yeah, um,
2: absolutely.
0: Which often ends people in, unfortunately, disastrous places, but... Uh, that's how life works um but yeah and also you know it's in there is also an element of what we might call divine intervention or chance if you don't like that word but um of just sort of you know when people hate their jobs and then they're fired and then they realize what a liberation it is right Um, Like I had a a woman come on the podcast a few months ago who wrote a book called Why Losing Your Job Could Be the Best Thing That Ever Happened to You, right? And it was really about this phenomenon of like, actually, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? It's, again, it comes to this perspective taking of like, how do you see this uh, in your life? And what meaning do you make from it? Because it is entirely, I mean, up to you is the way to say it, but it's not exactly right because a lot of it's automatic, right? So it's hard Mm -hmm. to ascribe that responsibility, but I think you know what I mean, right? Um, Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think we all have a choice. Every single one of us has a choice. Every single one of us, I like to use the word control, but I know it rubs a lot of people the wrong way uh i think every single one of us is in control of ourselves mm-hmm. and the choices we make nobody's holding a gun to our head I and mean, the rare circumstances that someone is you know uh hopefully that never happens to anybody but for the most part we all are in control of ourselves and our con- our choices And what I mean by that is we surely we cannot control other people or the things that happen around us or even say something physically that happens, but there's a little gray area with that. Uh, But I genuinely believe we are in control of our emotions, our attitudes, our actions, our reactions, the way we see something. Being able to perspective shift is, I think, one of the most powerful tools that anybody can have, even if your listeners wanted to start there. How do I see this situation I'm in differently? Yeah, like that's huge.
0: Entertain other possible interpretations, but really yeah. entertain them, not just to, you know, play the game. It's like, how, yeah. how might someone else see this situation? And then saying, hmm, maybe I could look at it that way. And it just sort of starts mm-hmm. like that, right? It's just that little seed that doubts your current belief about the situation and the other seed that starts a new way of looking at it and that's all you need right and then it grows well it's not all you need you need to water your seeds but um that's how it starts um yeah but anyway listen this is, we've done our, our hour and it's flown by. I,
1: I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's just been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much again for having me.
0: No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Please tell people, I'll link to stuff in the description as well. But, you know, where can people find you and promote Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, you can find me anywhere, really. It's Amy Gerhardt's. So my company is A Higher Way of Living. You can go to a higherwayofliving.com. Um, you can book a free discovery call with me. I have free gifts all the time. I do so many free events like masterclasses and summits and virtual events and all of these things, uh, just to provide education to people. Um, by all means, follow me in all the socials and, and the things like that as well. I, I say the socials, like I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 feeling my age coming out. I'm going to be 40 in like a couple weeks. So I'm like, oh yeah, all the yeah. socials. Follow me on the Facebook. On the Facebook. And, yeah. Um, on the Facebook, and um, by all means, if any of you know anybody once again is struggling with anything, feel free to reach out and and I'll do my best to support you in any way that I can or help you find support from someone else so um, yeah, and I also oh, I already said I had free gifts, yeah, perfect. just go to the website. It's great yeah
0: <laughs> awesome. well thank you again. It's been a pleasure, and I hope to have another conversation with you soon. Be fun.
1: I look forward to it Shane, thank you so much
0: all right.